uncertain. Oh, climb on. We'll watch that. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, climb on. When your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit, climb on. That's right, my friend. Climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up, for all those who reach the summit. Life trails. Take the next step. Well, you know, we just had you be seated through the whole opening service here so you could actually see the screen, but now you've been sitting there for a long time. So everybody needs to stand up, get the wiggles out a little bit here, and I'm going to give you an exercise to do. I'm going to give you, uh, find somebody around you and just share three things that happened this week or three things that you're grateful for, three things you're excited about. I don't care. Just pick three things and talk to a person around you about those three things, all right? We'll give you like 60 seconds here. Have at it. How about three reasons why you're excited to be here today? All right. Could have kept going. Could we? You can have a seat. I'm thinking like three reasons why I'm grateful for all these people that I work with because you know how, how infrequent it is that we have a situation come up like today. It almost never happens and it's because we have a great team here that I get to work with. So they're on my list of gratitude here this morning. But did you ever notice how tuned in we are to lists? Like if somebody says, in fact, this is just a, a secret when you're speaking. If you ever have... A, public speaking thing, if you want to get everybody's attention, just put a number with a thing that causes a list. So like, let me give you three ideas here. Or give me, here's five cautions you need to consider, or whatever like that, for, for whatever reason, and for teachers in the room, you know this, it's like every person's like, oh, I need to know that. You know, you could say like, here's three reasons to change your flat tire. Like, do you really need three reasons to change your flat tire? But for some reason, we're like, oh, give them to me, give them to me. Well, lists are a big thing. And you know what? It's not just me or other teachers that use lists. It's actually God who uses lists too. Now, lists of like three or five, they're easier to work with because you kind of remember those. And when you get to lists that are a little bit longer, that gets a little bit scarier. And like when we get to a list of like 10, that's a lot. But that's what God gives us, and we're going to be looking at this this week. What is the most famous list of ten in the Bible? Well, the Ten Commandments, all right? How well do you know your Ten Commandments? So we've got a little bit of a quiz here to start with, all right? We're going to see if you can identify in your mind, that's all you need to do here, the commandments, and I'm just going to let you go through these one at a time, and then I'll give you what that command is, okay? So everybody's got what the first command is in your mind? It is... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, how many got the first command right? 
All right, some of you are already out of this game, and we've got nine to go. That's a little scary, isn't it? Secondly, okay, think of the second command. What is the second command? Got it? Second command is, you shall have no other graven images before me, right? Graven images, okay. How many still with me? Good, all right. Third command, we're still on the God commands here, just to give you a hint. Third command is, you shall not use the name of God in vain. Got that one? All right. All right. Okay, you can still jump in. You know, it's not like you got eliminated to start with. All right, number four. Number four is like the transitional command here. Still a God command, but it kind of gets to, you know, okay. That is, remember the Sabbath day. All right, number five. Okay, number five, got it? Number five is, honor your mother and father. Okay, I think those are the easy five, right? Now it's where it's get hard because we know like what the next five is, but we have no idea what order they come in. So the next one, number six, is you shall not murder. Okay, and we get number six, murder, right? All right. This quiz is going downhill fast. All right, uh, number seven, you shall not commit. I'm giving you a hint there. Adultery, good. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. And number 10, you shall remember the Ten Commandments. Okay, or no, it's, it's actually, thou shalt not covet. All right, so the average person, though, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but if I ask the average person, could you list the Ten Commandments, they kind of come up with two or three, you know, like thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, something like that. And they'd probably get lost in the process. Fortunately for all of us who are, you know, like church people, we've got these all nailed down, and we just rolled right through them with no trouble whatsoever here this morning. But my question is, even though we know about the Ten Commandments, and even though some of us might have been able to list them all in order, do we really get them right? And I don't mean do we get them right from the order that we put them in, but do we get them right for what God had in mind when he gave us mankind, the Ten Commandments to start with. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to explore this because we're on our summit series here. We're hiking up these mountaintops and we're going to the top of Mount Sinai today, which we actually went there last week, but we called it Mount Horeb. And I don't know why it's called two different names in the Bible, but it is. It was called Mount Horeb the first time that Moses went to visit at the burning bush. And that was back in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at a verse there that we talked about last week. But we're going back to the same mountain because that's exactly what Moses did is he went back to the same mountain. In fact, exactly like God said he was going to do. And we're going to explore the Ten Commandments and what they're all about. And hopefully in a way that's super helpful to us today. And by the way, even as we get started this morning, I want to give some credit to the folks at the Bible Project who have some great material on the Ten Commandments. If you want to do further study, some of their stuff will be super helpful to you. But in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 12, and this is from last Sunday, from the burning bush experience, God said to Moses, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so Moses is at the burning bush, and God says to him, hey, here's going to be your sign. In a, you know, in a little bit, you're going to be back here. Now, that doesn't work for me very well, because the idea of a sign to me is this idea that it's proof of what's about to happen, not like evidence of what happened in the past. So you think of like, uh, you know, if I need a sign, it's like, you know, if the next 
the next, if so-and-so, if Susie wears a red dress today, that's my sign that I'm supposed to marry her, you know? Those are the things that we did back in, in college, things like that. And we think of signs in that direction. Gideon was the one in the Bible, you know, if the fleece is wet or the fleece is dry, well, then this is my sign that I'm supposed to do this. Well, that sign doesn't really work in this situation that way. So don't think of it as a proof, but think of it as a promise. And we did talk about that last week. God was saying, hey, I'm making you a promise, Moses. You're going to be back here. I'm doing something. It's starting right now, and it's going to come back through here. It's not going to finish when it comes back through here, but it's coming back. And so think of it as a promise. But even more than that, think of it as a directive. It's he's saying, just as you and I are meeting up here today, in a little bit, you and I and the whole nation of Israel, we're going to be meeting up in this same place here in a little bit. And it demonstrates that God has a purpose and a plan. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments, it's set against this backdrop of the history of Israel. And so from here, for Moses from the burning bush, he's sent back to Egypt. And in Egypt... He meets up with his, uh, actually his brother comes out and meets him in the wilderness. They go back to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they meet up with all the elders of the Israelites. And together, collectively, they go to Pharaoh. And they go to Pharaoh and say, hey, we're slaves here in Egypt. But God said, it's time for you to let us go. If Pharaoh's like, I don't know who God is, you're not going anywhere. And so Moses said, well, here's the plan then. We're going to do these ten plagues. There's another list we could work through this morning. But here we're going to do these ten plagues. And then, you know, maybe when we get to the end of these ten plagues, then you'll let us go. And that's exactly what happens. He gets to the end of the ten, command, or the ten plagues. They're released to go into the wilderness. By the way, the Passover is instituted in the process of those plagues. But they go into the wilderness. They get stuck there by the Red Sea. What are we going to do? <laughs> just came up with my slide on the back. If you want to see a map, you can turn around right there. There's a map of, a, of Egypt behind you there. But uh, they, they get to the Red Sea, and it's like, okay, what do we do now? And God said, I got this one. And so God splits the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are wiped out in the process. Then they get the cloud by, uh, 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 by day, the fire at night, and they follow that through the beginning of the wilderness section there. They have a run-in with the Amalekites. They defeat the Amalekites. They don't have water. God provides water out of the rock. They're complaining about the food. God sends manna. God sends quail. All of this happens between Egypt and between Sinai. And it all happens over the course of about three months. But finally they get to Mount Sinai, which is in the southern portion of the Sinai Peninsula. And they arrive at this place that God said to Moses, I'm going to bring you back here. And so this entire nation now of Israel, maybe as much as a million strong, arrives back at this place and so that they can have a God experience somewhat similar to what Moses had had just a few months before that. But stage one is now complete. So God has gotten Moses from Horeb or Sinai to Egypt and all the way back here, but now he's back to Mount Sinai, but he's back with all of these people. Now, just a reminder, this is a real place you can go and visit this today. We think that we've identified what was the Mount Sinai. It could actually be the wrong mountain. We're not sure. But when the Israelites come to this place, they end up staying here for an entire year. 
So it's not just like a passing thing, like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come to Sinai here, we'll have a you know, day or two of, of things going on here, and then we'll be on our way. They actually are at Sinai for an entire year, and when they leave Sinai, they never come back. So it's like this moment where God's got something big to do, and when it's done, they move on from that. But as you look at this story, they arrive at Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. So I want to encourage you to, to go with me there, Exodus chapter 19. And it's really difficult, to be honest, to follow what happens here. Because the narrative is interspersed with, with um, the, a lot of instructions that God gives. And it bounces around back and forth, and it's really hard to follow what's going on. But when Moses gets here, he's asked to come up to the mountain. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times, five times. At least seven times, Moses goes up and down this mountain. Which Moses is 80 years old at this point, And he's got about, if this is the correct mountain, he's got about a 2,900 foot um, elevation gain each time. And God keeps calling him up and down the mountain. And he goes up and God gives him a message and he goes down and he tells the people and he goes back up. And sometimes the message is like, you know, like two sentences long. And he's up and down and up and down these mountains. But in one of these times, up and down the mountains, God gives him the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments don't show up in, in, in chapter 20 of Exodus, but the story of when the commandments are given is probably in Exodus 24. So as you look at this, like, okay, this gets really confusing what's going on here. So we're going to read this story in chapter 19. We're going to get the Ten Commandments before the Ten Commandments story is actually showing up. I think it'll make sense before we're done, okay? So let's read here in Exodus chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. They set up from Rephidim. They entered the desert. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. So this is the first trip up the mountain. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. And here's what he says. Three things. You yourselves have seen what I have done to Egypt. And so the Israelites have seen God exact his vengeance on the Egyptians for how he treated the, the Israelites. Secondly, he says, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, how I put you on my back, essentially, and I've carried you through the wilderness. I've provided food for you. I've provided deliverance for you. I've cared for you. I, I have done all these things for you. And now, he says, I have brought you to myself. Key phrase there. I have brought you to myself. And what God is saying here is, I've brought you here to me. This is about relationship. And as we look at everything else this morning, that's a key thought, is it's about relationship. And even as we look at the Ten Commandments, it's about relationship. And so he says, I brought you here to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are supposed to speak to the Israelites. And he says, I want you to be in covenant with me. And covenant is a relationship. It's a commitment between one person and another person or between one person, here God, and a group of people, the Israelites. And we would, probably the closest thing we have to a covenant relationship that we talk about today would be marriage. 
where a husband and a wife are in a covenant committed relationship to each other. And so God comes and says, I brought you to this mountain because I want to have this covenant relationship with you. And then he goes on, and and we're looking here at verse number 9, and he says three things to the Israelites. He says, first of all, as a nation, I'm choosing you. You will be my treasured possession. And God was choosing his people. And this was a special moment because up until this point, they had been kind of like the outcasts. They had been living for 400 years, uh, displaced in Egypt. And I think feeling forgotten, and, and it was hard and it was rough. And God's saying, no, 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 everything's changed now because I am choosing you. And this was the message from Sinai from God is, I have chosen you. And then he says this, as my people you will be my representatives to the world. That's where in verse number 8 says you will be a kingdom of priests. Priests were traditionally the ones who went between the people and God. They were the intermediator. Let me just pick a different word. They were the go-betweens. They were the go-betweens. And what God is saying is that you are going to be the go-between from all the people of the world in God. The connection goes through you. And obviously we know that he's talking about Christ in this situation. But he's talking about more than that. He's talking about God's people being the link between the peoples of the world and God himself. And then he says, as my representatives, then you're going to need to be holy. And so God wants to prepare his people for their purpose. And that's partly why they're at this mountain for a year. It's because God is preparing these people for this purpose to represent him to the world. So verse number 7, Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought back their answer to the Lord. In other words, God said, I want to be in covenant with you. And in covenant with you, here's what my purpose is going to be for you. And Moses comes back and said, this is the offer. And the people are like, we're in. And they sign on the dotted line. But you know what they didn't get? They didn't get the, the expectations. That's what the Ten Commandments are, and they're coming up here. But the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud, verse number 9, so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put your tr- their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, get them ready. Get them spiritually cleaned up. Verse number 14, Moses went down and he consecrated the people. And then in verse number 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it fire and the smoke billowed up from it and the smoke like a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and there's this electrical storm going on and like there's this huge just disruption in nature and there's a sound of the trumpet that's coming here louder and louder and Moses spoke and the voice of the Lord answered him and God basically said Moses go back down here and tell him not to come any closer like there was a big danger of that They were scared to death. In fact, Moses kind of said that, like, I don't think you need to worry about that, God. They're not coming any closer. But Moses goes back down to the people. And you see this in verse number 25. Moses went down to the people, and he told them. And then we move to chapter 20, 
which is the Ten Commandments. Which is really interesting to think about because weren't the Ten Commandments given to Moses when he was up on top of the mountain? Because right now, Moses is down here in the valley and the Ten Commandments are going to be given. So where exactly was Moses? We don't know. And it's not clear. And when the people heard the voice of God speak, maybe they just heard rumblings, you know, like the old Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. That's, maybe that's what they heard. I don't know. But anyhow, Moses does eventually end up back up on the mountain. And this is why it gets confusing what's happening exactly where. But for the purpose of telling the story of Israel, Moses and, and God and, and inspiring the scriptures puts the Ten Commandments right here. Because it goes with what just happened. And what just happened was this covenant offer between God and his people. And so at their core, the Ten Commandments are meant to be relational. Where we tend to look at them as ritual or, or uh, as, as uh, regulations and rules that we're supposed to follow. So what are the purposes of the Ten Commandments here? We're going to look at two things that they're really not and five things that they really are because we like lists, right? So here we go. The first two things that they're really not, they're not meant to be a pathway to salvation. The Ten Commandments are not a pathway to salvation. And you talk to the average person on the street, what are the Ten Commandments are about? Well, if I do these, that's how I get to heaven. I have to be good enough. I have to keep the commandments, right? And if I keep the commandments, then I get into heaven. The first problem with that is nobody ever perfectly keeps the commandments, so that excludes everybody from heaven. So it doesn't work that way. But the commandments were never meant to be things that we do to achieve something. Because they followed the covenant. In other words, God said, I want you to be in covenant with me. And then once we're in this relationship, then I'm going to give you these ideas of how we can make this relationship work. We don't do this to get in, into the relationship. We do this because we are in relationship. And if you look at this story, it, 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 is, it pictures the future of Christ in, in all of us as we trust Christ and become part of his family and, and his chosen people. But the deliverance of the Israelites happened and then the covenant happens, and then the command happens. And so Christ came and died on the cross, and then we trust Christ, and then we see our lives changed by what we're taught here. Some of that being the Ten Commandments. So they follow salvation. They were never meant to be a pathway to heaven because we need to be transformed. And the Ten Commandments can't transform anybody. Secondly... They were not intended to be only a moral or an ethical code. And that's the second way that people look at them is, well, we followed the Ten Commandments because that teaches us how to get along with each other. And yes, they do that. If we'll follow the Ten Commandments, you know, like don't steal, that's a really, you know, your neighbors will appreciate that, and you'll appreciate that about your neighbors. You know, don't bear false witness, don't murder, all of those different things. They are helpful when followed, but they're only mildly effective. Because if we just try to change the behavior without changing the purpose, we don't get very far. In fact, that's what we actually see when we get to the New Testament, is in a sense, we, we don't just abandon the Ten Commandments because they still hold. 
but we take a different approach, and God takes a different approach, where in the Old Testament, they, these Ten Commandments are always like this box that they're trying to, to, to get all the people to live inside. And in the New Testament, God says, we're not going to do that. We're not going to work from the outside in anymore. We're going to work from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our lives and transforms us. And so the change goes this way instead of this way. But when we try to use the Ten Commandments as just a moral boundaries, we end up just controlling behaviors and we don't see much by way of a change of heart. And this is oftentimes what religion falls into. And this is what the Jews f- fell into. Is well, as long as I just do what I'm supposed to do, I'm okay. And so we, we identify all of our rules that we're supposed to follow. And we think that we're okay with God. Or we think that we're spiritual. Or, or we develop self-righteousness and all of these different things. And we lose track of the relationship. And so these are typically what people say, you know, what are the Ten Commandments about? They would say that. It's about, you know, ethical behavior or it's about getting into heaven. Uh-uh. But here's what they are about. Let me give you five ideas here. First of all, they were a means for God to reveal himself to his people. A means for God to reveal himself for his people. These commandments were designed to tell these people who God was. The people were learning. Think about this. They just spent 400 years in Egypt. They had lost a lot of their even spiritual religious identity. And we see that they were still trying to follow God in in different ways, different shapes, different forms. But they didn't really know that much about God. There was no Bible then. I mean, there was Genesis. that had happened. But Moses was the one who eventually recorded Genesis for us. So they've got very little to work with. They've just gone through the wilderness. They've seen God do these miracles. And they were learning about God. But God's like, no, no, let me just tell you who I am, not just what I do. And so we can look at what God does, and that tells us about who he is. And we can also look at these commands, and it starts to tell us who God is, what his nature is, what he is like. And we call this the law of God. I'm giving you a technical term here. We call this the law of God. It's who God is and how everything in our world is in relationship to who God is. So we would think of the, uh, the law of God a little bit more, and this isn't a great illustration, but a little bit more like we talk about the law of gravity. It's not a rule. It's just what is. The law of God is here is what is because of who I am. And then we get to the commandments and we add an S to it and we have the laws of God. And the laws of God are guidelines that were given to help us line up with who God is and how he's created this world to be. And sometimes, so for instance, like, um, the guideline is to do no murder. Well, the idea is we don't kill each other. Yes. But there's more to it than that. It tells us something about God. It tells us that God is a God who values people. It tells us that God is a God who values life. And as we look at this, then we see something bigger than just this command. We start to see a God who cares about life. You can even follow that out in the New Testament, right? Because with every command, there's actually a principle or an idea behind it. Jesus in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount says, you've heard it said this way. But I say it's this way. You've heard it say don't murder, but I say don't hate. 
It's because there's something behind the command. It's not just the command. We have to look past it, and we look past it to see who God is. Secondly, the commands were and are a way for God to develop the identity of his people. As I mentioned before, they've just spent 400 years in, in the last part of that, or in Egypt, the last part of that is slavery. In slavery, they've been powerless, they've been beaten down, they've been despised. They were the low rung of society. They were not a people who probably felt good about themselves. And God shows up and says, okay, here's who I am. And it becomes part of their identity. And so they went from being powerless to having a God who is splitting seas so they can walk through it. And they have a God who's raining down manna so that they can eat it. And they're getting an idea, an idea of who God is. But God's just saying, nah, it's not just me, it's you and me. We're in covenant here. And when we talk about this, you know, uh, with, with a husband and wife, we're, we're together. And, and so we identify with each other and through each other. And God's saying, this is who you are. You are part of, not part of me, but you are part of my world now. And you are in covenant with me. And they had been displaced and, in a sense, homeless. And he's saying, I'm going to lead you back into this land here. And so he's working to identify the identity or, or, or to create the identity of his people and he's saying it's going to be in me not in you we are going to raise up a nation here now i come from south bend and, and there's a famous university in south bend that plays football and if you go to uh, to the stadium they have uh, I, I, I just got a thumbs down from the back there sorry about that but uh uh if you go to, to notre dame there's a famous cheer that they do in notre dame stadium and, they, and the, the cheerleaders get it, and they hold up this sign. And at one end of the stadium, they hold up a sign that says, we are. And the whole stadium yells, we are. And on the other sideline, they hold up a sign that says, ND. And they go back and forth, we are. And the other side of the stadium answers back, ND. We are. ND. And it's the stupidest little cheer, and everybody gets into it. We are God's people. Is what the Ten Commandments are all about. It's about relationship. And God is working to develop the identity of his people that they will identify not in their own powerlessness, but in his power. Thirdly, they were and are intended to be more relational than performative. And we've hit this several times. But they are in response to the covenant. They are, God's not saying, hey, if you'll do these, we'll be in covenant. He's saying, we're in covenant, so let's do these. And that difference makes a difference. That was really redundant, wasn't it? <laughs> but we need to build our lives around our God relationship and not build our lives around rules. And this is the danger, I think, and when we look at the Ten Commandments. And this is the danger that the Jews fell into. It's like, okay, here's the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. And then, you know, and we don't realize this too, there's 10 commandments and there's another block of like 42 commandments that were given. And then another block of like 561 commandments that were given. By the time that the, the God's done on the mountain, he's given 500, no, 613 rules. It's not about the rules though. It's about the relationship. But the problem is when we get into the rules instead of the relationship, that we start to think that that's what defines us. And it was never meant to define 
people. You see in the New Testament, especially the Pharisees, they were all about like following the rules. Then they were about sometimes just looking for the loopholes in the rules. And sometimes they were just like blowing off the rules and doing whatever they wanted. But it was all rules, 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 rules. And Jesus came and said, hey, you got this all mixed up. It's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. Now when we have a relationship, we have rules. And this works in your house too. Your parents and you have kids, you have rules in your house. It doesn't really, it, it actually, those rules are de- designed to make the relationships better. And this is the idea here of the Ten Commandments. God says, let me give you these rules because it's going to make our relationship work better. But it always goes back to the relationship. Number four here. They were and are, the Ten Commandments, an invitation to a better way of living. God is basically saying, this is who I am. This is how I created the world. And if you will just do what I created things and follow that pattern, it's just going to go better. Life will go better if you don't run around lying to each other. Life will go better if you don't spend all your time coveting what somebody else has. Life will go better, actually, if you worship me and don't worship other gods. And life will go better and relationships will go better if you will do, not what I'm saying here, as much as if, if you will live in accord with who I am. So the commands are not necessarily just to say, here's the rules to follow. The commands are saying, here's how I created this world so you know how it works best. It's, it's like, you know, when you, when you get your thing from Ikea and you have to build it. Now, some of you are like, who needs instructions? Here we go. But most of us, we, we lay those things out because we realize if we want to build this, we need the instructions. The Ten Commandments then were God saying, here's, here's some instructions to follow that will actually make this thing called life stand up and be sturdy. And so they were given to us to give us a better way to live. In fact, we're told in 1 John, they're, they're not burdensome. They're not designed to weigh us down. God's commands are designed to free us up. And to let us live well, to let us live in congruency with who God made us to be. And then lastly, they were God's plan for his people to be God to the world. See, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were created, and what does it say? Where are we told? They were created, man and woman, in the image of God. And and man's purpose has always been from the very start to be God's image bearers. In other words, we look at man and say, oh, that's a little bit what God's like. No, not not total picture, but it gives us a picture of what God's like. And that was man's purpose to be an image bearer of God. And what is actually going on here is God comes and brings the Ten Commandments to say, Hey, Israel, you're going to be my people so that everybody in the world can look at you and get a little picture of me. Big responsibility. But that's true for us today, even as God's people in a little different light. We're God's people because we come to God through Jesus Christ. But the idea is that we can live our lives in such a way that the world looks at us and goes, oh, so that's what God is like. And so the Ten Commandments were given as a way for us to bear the image of God to the world around us. So many times we take the Ten Commandments and, and we run around through society and we use them to beat people over the head with, well, you know, you're not acting morally, you're not acting ethically here. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to take our lies to the world and say, you know what, I'm going to treat people with respect. I'm going I'm to be honest in my dealings here. 
I'm going to be faithful in my marriage. I'm going to live with contentment rather than covetousness. And people look at us then and go, oh, that's what God's like. And that is what the plan was. And so God comes and he gives these Ten Commandments. And we're like, oh, there's these rules. And God's like, no, you're missing the point. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. And the reason that we want to have these, these rules are part of the relationship. But they're designed to make the relationship better with God, commands 1 through 4. And then we're designed to make our relationships with others better, commands 6 through 10. And then as other people look at us, we become God to the world. So, this is a big moment for Moses. He goes back to where God said he would bring him back to. And Moses, I'm sure, looked when he arrived there, probably looked over and said, I remember that bush. That bush was burning just a few months ago. And here we are back, just like God said. And I'm sure it was a big moment of, like, confirmation. Like, okay, we're on the, the right track here. And it was a big moment because it was like stage one was done. It was a big moment for the people, though, too. Because that was their big God encounter. And they started to understand that they had a purpose themselves. It wasn't just about, you know, we're leaving Egypt. It was about, you know what, there's something bigger here in the story. We're part of God's story here. And God's story to the world. And so they have their moment too. But this morning, I wanted to ask us this question as we come to Sinai and as we hear the Ten Commandments. Maybe this is your moment. Because we could throw out a lot of facts, and this is kind of a, a very, like, educational, I suppose, more, more than motivational talk here to understand it. But here's what we need to get from this. We have a God who comes to each and every one of us individually and says, I want you to be my person. I'm choosing you. Of all the people in the world here, you are important to me. And I'm choosing you. And I want to have this relationship with you. But you know what? This relationship, it is going to change your behavior. Because hopefully it changes your heart. So we can look at those commands and say, okay, how am I doing on those? But then ultimately it's like, how am I living in front of my neighbor? How am I living in front of my coworker? How am I living in front of even the people that live in my house? People look at me and say, oh, so that's what God looks like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that you want to have a relationship with us. We don't get it. I'll never understand. But I'm thankful. And so God, as we study your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. And as we sit in our seats this morning, our heads and our eyes are closed. Where is God's spirit speaking to you? What is he showing you? Maybe it's just the fact that you sense that God's Spirit is inviting you to be part of his people, to trust Christ, to come into this family of faith. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, that's the invitation this morning. God's choosing you if you'll accept that invitation. If you accept that invitation, though, are you living as a chosen one? Are you reflecting God to the world? 
That's what we should be doing. Heavenly Father, we need your help to live that way. We need to be transformed from the inside. Holy Spirit, please do your work in us. Make us aware of the things in our lives that need to be different. And change us so that we can reflect you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand with us and conclude.